Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our team preview series with a look at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, try to make these as evergreen as possible throughout the offseason, so make sure you go back and check out any teams you might have missed. But without further ado, the 2020 Arizona Cardinals Fantasy Football Team Preview. Get started with a look at Kyler Murray. I mean, his rookie year won about as well as you could have hoped from a fantasy perspective. I mean, the only rookie QB1, so meaning top 12 at their position in fantasy scoring since 2010, are Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, RG3, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Mr. Kyler Murray. But, you know, you look a little closer at what he did through the air in particular, and, you know, he was an average to below average passing quarterback and just... QB rating, he was 23rd. Deep ball rating, he was 16th. Under pressure rating, 21st. Kept clean, he was 32nd. I mean, it wasn't great. Now, obviously, was that all on Kyler? No. I mean, he was throwing the ball to Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, a bunch of pretty much rookie or kind of journeyman wide receivers, no tight ends. It was an offense that, you know, really didn't play to his strengths for the first month of the year. And then, you know, it took him until kind of getting Kenyon Drake to really get the run game going. But it's a situation where I think we should expect him to take a big leap forward, you know, once you add DeAndre Hopkins. And I do kind of see the comparisons between the 2020 Cardinals and the 2019 Browns because, you know, the Cardinals offensive lines, you know, if you look at throughout that offense, that could be the issue. Uh, Murray did take a, you know, almost league high amount of sacks last year, did hold the ball a lot, constantly under pressure. Now, if you look a little closer, you'll see he's right up there with Deshaun Watson in terms of, you know, taking sacks that were the quarterback's fault, not so much the offensive line. And I do think in general, uh, it is more on the quarterback than the O-line, but even still, the O-line is, you know, the potential uh, wild card that could rear its ugly head. And then, you know, we look back in four months and say, why didn't we care more about this team's faulty offensive line like we did in Cleveland last year? But in fantasy, I think we're going to be okay because his rushing floor is just unlike anything Baker uh, brings to the table. I mean, Murray, he averaged 34 rushing yards per game last season. That is sixth among all QBs to ever start at least 16 games in NFL history. So again, last year, Murray wasn't even that good of a passer. He did his thing as a rusher, but even then I felt like he could have, you know, potentially been utilized even more, and the guy was still a QB1. So he's going to have to, you know, work a little harder to meet his ADP. Now he's going as a top five signal caller instead of, you know, outside the top 10 or 12, but still a situation where, you know, he already proved he can supply QB1 fantasy goodness without, you know, high-end receivers at his disposal. Adding Hopkins should, uh, you know, definitely help Kyler get up there. Because, I mean, you saw the arm talent. You saw him make the splash plays where if he can do it a little more consistently, he's going to be anyone's idea of a top five QB. So very much on the Kyler train going to 2020 and beyond. And honestly, as we move on to running back, I am more than happy to continue to take a chance on Kenyon Drake. I uh, did a backfield splits article last week, and I am projecting Drake to see about 75% of the offensive snaps, you know, assuming everyone stays healthy. Chase Edmonds at 20%, Eno Benjamin 5%. It was a one RB backfield last season. I mean, you look at the first six weeks of the season when David Johnson was the guy, and he plays 86% snaps, 60%, 87%, 86%, 69%, 75%. He gets hurt. Chase Edmonds comes in, plays 94% snaps in his first week in there. He gets hurt. Drake gets traded for. He comes in 84%, 64%, 90%. Bye week to get, get guys healthier. 
didn't matter. Drake finishes off the season with 79%, 66%, 75%, 81%, 96% snap rates. That is not normal, everyone. We only see that out of really Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, and Saquon Barkley league-wide. I mean, this is a one RB backfield, and that's why I've had Drake, you know, in my top seven backs for most of the offseason. And yeah, the injury he suffered isn't great, but you know, talking to, you know, Dr. Evan Porras from Fantasy Points, he couldn't be less concerned. Uh, you know, even, just even listening to Coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who said, it's just some normal nicks and bruises, normal camp stuff. It's just kind of precautionary with him, knowing what he'll be able to do. I mean, they know what Drake brings to the table. He had this boot on last offseason as well. I mean, it's an injury that everyone seems to be at peace with. It seems like more rest than anything. And, you know, when he's out there, it's going to be the Kenyon Drake show. So absolutely love buying Drake this year, despite, you know, the mini hiccup here in training camp. And that the enthusiasm extends to Chase Edmonds, though, because just where he's been going in drafts. I mean, give me Chase Edmonds over someone like Marlon Mack or Carrion Johnson eight days of the week, because even if injuries occur in those backfields, those guys are not getting the three down roll that we know Edmonds will get if, you know, Drake misses time. So maybe... You know, last year's one RB backfield was more due to injuries and, you know, this and that. I don't think so, but let's say that's the case and this is more of a 50-50 or 60-40 split. Like, okay, that's great then. You want Edmonds on your team. He has a chance to, you know, eventually overtake Drake for the role. Or it is the Drake show. And then we have Edmonds who he's one injury away from having, you know, an elusive three down roll and a great offense. So I think at his current ADP, Edmonds, you know, his range of outcomes is pretty much great. Uh, whatever happens, you know, and some people have had, you know, Benjamin still wondering what he can do. And, you know, to his credit, Kingsbury's talked about how they're happy to have three solid running backs, but just historically, the amount of running backs, you know, drafted outside the top three rounds that do anything of note as a rookie, very, very small. You know, you see the exceptions here and there with your Philip Lindsay's of the world, but, you know, just, I'm, I'm not going to bet on a seventh round running back. Maybe, you know, you know, is an exception to the rule, but, I do not think he will be a factor in 2020. Uh, moving on to the wide receiver room. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. Wow. Like, talk about adding a great receiver. And look, it hasn't been great historically. It's actually been really bad when you look at the fantasy success of wide receivers on a new team after they were traded during the offseason. The only guy over the last decade to post a, you know, a top 12 PPR season after being traded during the offseason was Brandon Marshall. And he did it twice. I mean, you talk about a guy that just... Imagine blaming Brandon Marshall for not winning a playoff game as the dude's bringing down, you know, 1,500 yards and double-digit scores. Could not be me. But Hopkins, I think it's fair to say that he has been the most talented wide receiver traded in the offseason over the past decade. So I'm not, you know, necessarily, I'm not down on him. He's my wide receiver five. We'll get, you know, specific rankings more in a bit. But I, I am taking a bunch of running backs before him in drafts, though, because there is... Enough concern, I think, with will he get the highest end target share that we've grown used to, to in order to meet that value. And like, okay, I would not be shocked if he joins Brandon Marshall, you know, in the group of wide receivers that I produced on their new squad. And even if he doesn't, I mean, his floor still is a wide receiver too, I think. But even then, I mean, you're you're paying for Hopkins at his ceiling, using a top five wide receiver selection to get his services. And he's going to need to kind of reach his ceiling in order to meet value there. So not a guy I consistently come away with in a lot of drafts, but you see sometimes where he's still available in the third round and people are really getting off him. I think that's when you should pounce. But I mean, the only, he, this is the issue. I mean, over the last five seasons, he's had 
192 targets, 151, 174, 163, and 150. I mean, Christian Kirk was the Cardinals wide receiver one last year. And if you just take his average in targets per game and extrapolate it over 16, it's only equaling 133. So yes, it would make sense if Hopkins, you know, sees 150 plus targets. He's an alpha receiver and he deserves it. But, you know, to Sean Watson, to Kyler Murray, that's a downgrade for right now. And uh, if, if we're looking at similar to lower target share and probable fewer yards per attempt, you know, you, you see the case why guys, you know, have Hopkins ranked in the teens among wide receivers. I think he's talented enough to continue to do his thing. I mean, we've just seen him with these quarterbacks over the years. I mean, Hopkins has averaged 22.8 PPR points per game with Brandon Whedon under center, 20.8 with Tom Savage, 19.7 with Brian Hoyer, 18.7 with Ryan Mallett, 17.3 with TJ Yates. It's seriously absurd some of the quarterbacks he had to go through in Houston before getting to Sean Watson, who he averaged a cool 19.7 uh, PPR points per game with. I think, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, Hopkins will join Marshall as, you know, the only wide receiver ones to replicate that on a new squad after being traded in the offseason. But I just don't think we're necessarily going to see that, uh, you know, top three usual season from Hopkins. And that's why I usually haven't been ending up with him in drafts. I really haven't been on either Christian Kirk or Larry Fitzgerald as well. I mean, look, Kirk and Fitz were more or less 1A, 1B last season. And for Kirk not to really do anything last year other than that game against Tampa Bay where he scored three times it's a little bit alarming I mean that was his best case scenario now for years just to really dominate target share and he wasn't able to do much with it so uh if it was like more fancy friendly targets that'd be one thing but especially if Kirk just keeps living on these short dink and dunk screens it's it's going to be one of these situations where he's only going to be playable in PPR leagues and it's got to be a good matchup because Hopkins is either going to dominate target share or we're just going to see kind of Kirk just seep into that. Okay, is he even the number two guy with what Fitz and maybe even Kenyon Drake do uh, in terms of their target share? So Fitz, uh, you know, the guy keeps balling out in week one. So maybe do that before the uh, father time really starts rearing its head uh, after September. But no, I think uh, in general, you should be fading Kirk and Larry Fitz at cost. Andy Isabella is the interesting guy and would love to see him get more opportunities last year he had a wild 88 yard touchdown catch and run against the 49ers that showed off his speed and he also took a slant against the buccaneers i believe it was and turned that into like a 50 yard gain so when you look at uh, kylo murray's adjusted yards per attempt to receiver it's like isabella by double the next closest guy obviously that's because of his you know super small target share he had last season he's not going to keep that up but the word is that he is going to be their second slot receiver in four wide receiver sets Cardinals utilized that on, I believe, 26% of Kyler Murray's attempts last year. And they were doing it even more in the first month of the season before, you know, Kingsbury kind of had to reel things in a little bit. They just weren't functioning as well as they really needed to. Added a, added a more consistent tight end into the offense. So as, Isabella could flirt with, you know, like a 50% snap rate potentially as the number four wide receiver in the offense. But like Kirk, like Fitzgerald, I just think it's going to be a little too condensed behind Hopkins for any of these guys to provide uh, much weekly value. And yeah, taking us to the tight end position, I just don't really think it's a unit to target. Dan Arnold in super deep leagues, maybe. My guy, uh, Rotorold, John Daigle, certainly is uh, you know the biggest Dan Arnold stan I know. He's uh, you know been a guy that smart coaches like Sean Payton have wanted to have on the squad, but 
you know, we still got Max Williams there. I wonder if, you know, Arnold's even going to be the de facto tight end. And in Arizona, it's a situation where like, okay, even if you are the tight end, who even knows if he's going to be playing 50% snaps of the game and the targets are even less of a guarantee. So Dan Arnold likely better, you know, real life option that maybe flashes here or there than anything resembling consistent fantasy. So moving on to the ranks, I have Kylo Murray as my QB four, one spot behind Dak Prescott, one spot ahead of Deshaun Watson. It's that rushing floor. And, you know, I, he's going to take a step forward as a passer through natural year two progression and adding, you know, one of the game's top five most talented wide receivers. All the reason in the world to believe the arrow is, you know, definitely pointing up for Kyler. And only reason, I, I do think Deshaun Watson is still better for now. And, you know, there's an argument that he should be ahead of Kyler uh, just in terms of, you know, pure upside you know if the texans just have to throw the ball more than ever but i do think kyler you know dual threat nature it's a fantasy football cheat code when you're getting the rushing production out of the quarterback position he deserves to be in anyone's top five signal callers heading into 2020 rb i have kenyon drake is my rb7 one spot behind dalvin cook one spot ahead of derrick henry if you want to put henry above drake i don't hate it more and more this offseason we've seen you know darrington evans maybe not have that uh, pass, pass down roll we kind of assume for him uh, in week one. So if Henry is getting the three down roll and Drake's getting a three down roll, I mean, okay, give me Henry in that case. It's still close though, but you know, I, I just would say don't, don't take the lazy approach and say, well, Drake's, you know, not had 200 plus touches or whatever the threshold is, you know, even dating back to college, like the biggest and most relevant, not the biggest, but the most relevant split we have with Drake is the final eight games of 2019 when he joined the Cardinals and they use him as a legit three down workhorse back. He's a great player. He owns some of the best yards after contact uh, per attempt seasons that I've seen in the PFF database. It's all coming together for him. And, you know, you really don't even have to draft him as the RB7. I'm more than happy to get him. You know, if you can get him in the second round of a draft, absolutely. And I don't even hate using the end of a first round pick on him as well. Uh, Chase Edmonds is my RB37, one spot behind Tony Pollard, one spot ahead of Philip Lindsay. You know, I've been preaching this all offseason. I think, you know, Latavius Murray, Madison Pollard, and Edmonds are the handcuffs to get. Okay, if you have Drake, maybe you don't want Edmonds because there's not really a situation where both those guys ball out. You'd be better off, you know, picking up Pollard. But again, there's not 32 legit handcuffs around the league. So really just focus on these four, regardless of who your other running backs might be. Wide receiver, as I said, DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver five, one spot behind Julio Jones, one spot ahead of Adam Thielen. You know, it's just where I guess I have Hopkins ranked in the grand scheme of things. He's my wide receiver uh, I'm sorry, he's my overall ranked uh, number 18 player. I'm taking George Kittle ahead of, ahead of him. I'm taking my, you know, RBs up through Miles Sanders, maybe maybe even Josh Jacobs, but that's that's a bigger discussion. But 12 or 13 RBs ahead of Hopkins. I do buy into, you know, just the idea that we should generally fade players switching teams. It kind of gets the excitement going. I think it gets the ADPs a little bit displaced uh, in terms of what they would otherwise be. And yeah, so great player. He's not going to fall off, I think, and, you know, give us like a OBJ wide receiver 25 as season. But I do worry if, you know, that top three, top five season is still, you know, firmly in his range of outcomes. Uh, tight end. Yeah, I'm not touching this unit at all, as I was saying. I mean, Dan Arnold, you know, if you're in a really deep league dynasty version, maybe, but otherwise I would pass. Uh, Christian Kirk is my wide receiver, 55, one spot behind Paris Campbell, one spot ahead of Mike Williams. I just worry about the target share, guys. That's that's really all it is. I mean, for him to do so little 
on 8.3 targets per game last year. I mean, that number is only going to go down, and I just haven't really seen enough from Kirk in terms of kind of pure talent out there on the field and just ability to make me think that, you know, a major resurgence is coming. Uh, fits my wide receiver 81, one spot behind John Ross, one spot ahead of Kendrick Bourne. Will in all likelihood be a free agent in most leagues. Moving on to the win total, Cardinals are sitting at 7.5. Uh, you know, you look at the rest of the NFC West, we have the 49ers, 10.5 Seahawks over there at 9, and the Rams at 9. So, you know, predicting the Cardinals to finish last again, I think it's a fair win total. I mean, after the hype the Browns had last year, it's good to see no one really expecting the Cardinals, you know, to make that leap into the playoffs. The defense is in a situation where Peterson, Patrick Peterson coming back from injury got boat raced by Michael Thomas. I'm sorry, come back from suspension, not injury. Uh, boat raced by Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. He got better as the year went on. He had a really good game against uh, Odell Beckham uh, towards the end of the season. But I don't think he's really anyone's idea of a top five cornerback at this point in his career. Chandler Jones, one of the most just underrated defensive ends uh, in recent memory. That dude is a guarantee pretty much for double-digit sacks a season. And, you know, he's wreaking havoc just with pressure even in between the sacks. Adding Isaiah Simmons and you know, not having Buda Baker there too. This is not going to be a defense we can just attack with tight ends every single week and get and expect, you know, consistent tight end one production. So we'll see what happens there. I kind uh, seven and a half is a really good number. I'll go with the over because I think it's a competitive division that every team's going to kind of, you know, be in that eight and eight, ten and six range. I wouldn't bet all that much money on it because I, I do, I would favor the Cardinals to be last place in this division, but I think the Rams are honestly closer to seven and a half than nine. So I would say just kind of because it seems like Vegas may have, you know, displaced the Cardinals a little bit uh, too much in fourth place. You know, they, I think they should be a little closer than the Rams. I would take the over for that reason. So that's going to do it, everyone. I'm Ian Harditz. Thank you for listening. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care.